Welcome to Calvary Chapel in the City, our study from Genesis to Malachi. Today we are in chapter number 15 of Leviticus, Leviticus 15. So let's begin with prayer. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name that we can open your word and, Lord, be warned by it, exhorted, built up. Most of all, Lord, become worshipers by what we see. And I just pray that you would do that during this time. Perform that work, Lord, in us. We need it so desperately, Lord. We hear so many verses, voices throughout the day, Lord, and... The voices are distracting us from who we were made to be, from who you made us to be, worshipers, Lord, who glorify you with our, our lives, our, our, our lips, our ministry. I just pray that you would perform that work today, Lord, as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Leviticus chapter 15. The book of Leviticus, the first seven, eight chapters about uh, the different offerings to be performed by the priests, the chapters after that about the inauguration of the priesthood, and then since then, we have been in the chapters about holiness, chapters about personal hygiene, about diet. And we are finishing up today in Leviticus 15, one of these holiness chapters in uh, particular uh, dealing with the emission of discharges from the body. So uh, let's start with verse 1, which says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. Uh, again, as we read through these chapters, um, some of them are detail that make us maybe even a little uncomfortable to talk about in a group setting, but uh, to the Jew reading this and to us reading it today, uh, they are laws given to produce a sense of holiness uh, to the Jew. While they no longer apply to us because they were all fulfilled in Christ, we can sort of put ourselves in their shoes, it presents uh, the, just the, that feeling of, of holiness. These laws were not given to just anyone. They were given to this people, the Jews, who were set aside by God to uh, 
reintroduce the world to God. They've been separated. They, it's just a reminder to the Jews that they are not just about uh, anyone uh, in they're not just anybody in the world. World, They're God's people. And so as we have discussed many of these laws, there's uh, practical health benefits associated with them, um, but there are also spiritual application. Now here we talk about discharges from the body. Uh, as we know today, modern medicine, many diseases, diseases are spread from one human being to another by body fluid. One example, of course, sexual uh, relations. Uh, and uh, we know f- from the CDC, uh, the Center for Disease Control, the alarming increase in the cases cl- of chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, even hepatitis as well, as a result of the increasing, ever-increasing sexual looseness um, of uh, our society. And so uh, it is from body fluids that these diseases are transmitted from one human being to another. Uh, Another disease not necessarily the result of sin that uh, we at Calvary Chapel in the city are familiar with, cholera, which uh, goes our frequent visits to Haiti. There was a cholera epidemic a few years ago, but um, uh, the uh, diarrhea uh, that is... uh, emitted from a human being who has cholera, that is, uh, that can be an extremely dangerous situation um, in terms of how the diarrhea is treated and cleaned up because cholera uh, is uh, transmitted in that way. We know the AIDS virus as well through blood, all of those kind of things dealt with uh, in this chapter. So verse 2 speaks of when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. So this could be uh, diarrhea, could be pus from an open wound, it could be blood from a wound. Uh, It says that Uh, Again, in verse 3, And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. Therefore, you you could uh, describe this particular verse is about um, what you may call unnatural discharge, not uh, normal bowel movements, this type of thing. Um, But it is an unnatural discharge. Uh, discharge of the body. Verse 4 says, Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Again, I think of the cholera there and just the practical wisdom of this. Uh, to the Jews and how over the millennium the the Jewish people have been 
protected from the same um, effects of epidemics because of these um, because of this law, this word that the Lord has used to preserve a people. It's the line of the Messiah from Abraham to uh, Jesus here. He's preserving this people. Uh, verse 6, he who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Verse 7, and he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Of course, um, I've mentioned this before, but um, uh, good historians, uh, one who are being honest with ones who are being honest with the record will tell you that cleanliness literally follows God's people, whether it's the Jews and today, uh, 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 Christianity, cleanliness, follows God's people. I've, I've just heard stories about, um, for example, of visitors uh, going to uh, the slums in India and the, the, the distinction between the homes of uh, the uh, population in the slums who are following uh, pagan gods uh, between those homes and the uh, homes of Christians. Just this really stark difference, this 180 degree uh, uh, difference between going to a place where there's very little regard for cleanliness in the home of a family that is following pagan gods uh, to a home where Christ is honored and lifted up and where there is born again Christianity there will just be marked cleanliness in that home God protects his people verse 8 he who has the discharge if if he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening don't think of someone deliberately spitting think of someone who's sneezing or something like that verse 9 any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening he who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever, whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And so just the sanitary effects of this, uh, one can see, uh, is really... Uh, startling in light of uh, modern scientific and, and medical findings of the importance of cleanliness uh, when there is an open discharge of, uh, of either blood or pus, this type of thing, diarrhea. Verse 12, the vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water and so a vessel of earth a clay pot because uh, those were inexpensive they would just outright destroy those 
if they um, were found to have touched the discharge. A vessel of wood being more expensive, it was required that that be rinsed in water. Verse 13, and when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his body, wash his clothes rather, and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. So even the importance of running water so that uh, the, the person is not cleansing themselves in still water, which could be used by something else. Just a remarkable picture of here of God preserving his people through sanitary hygiene, this type of thing. Verse 14, on the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle loves or two young pigeons and come before uh, the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them one as a sin offering and the other as a burn offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. Now, anytime you see in the book of Leviticus this reference to a sin offering or a trespass offering or a burnt offering, please, as, as a student of the word of God, that should be sort of a little uh, alarm that goes off. Why? Or a little red flag. Why? Why the sin offering? Why the sin offering in connection with a discharge that is the result of either a wound or a disease or uh, something like that? And, and so um, this, the sin offering, what, what that really symbolizes here is, is not that the, the, that the disease or the injury is a result of sin, although certainly much disease throughout the world um, are the results of specific acts of sin. Uh, but, you know, it's a recognition that originally, because of the fall of man, sickness was introduced into the world. And so if I could just rephrase, Anytime that you are sick, you can trace it back to the sin of Adam. Now, there are some situations, actually many, where sickness could be the result of specific acts of sin. Sometimes the Lord in his goodness, if you are in a season of rebellion to his word in your life, um, he will, out of love afflict you or a man or woman in rebellion with a sickness in order to get your attention. Other um, examples of of this uh, might be someone who is sleeping with another outside of marriage and they contract um, AIDS or they uh, contract uh, a sexually transmitted disease that um, in that case, a disease can be directly connected to a specific sin on the part of the person who has the sickness. However, it's also true that, as I mentioned earlier, that every, every sickness in the world today 
is as a result of Adam's sin. And so for that reason, um, because the omissions that are talked about, the bodily discharge referenced in the first um, uh, 13 verses of this chapter, chapter have to do with a uh, sin in connection with an injury or disease, you have this sin offering. Notice it's not a trespass offering because a trespass offering, as we have um, uh, noted before, relates to a specific act on the part of the offer that was sinful. No, this is a sin offering, which gets to the sinful nature of man, which can be traced back to Adam. In addition, you have the burnt offering, which is uh, just another opportunity on behalf of the one making the offering to consecrate their lives to the Lord. I mean, hey, we want every opportunity that we can for just to renew our our consecration uh, to uh, the Lord. And so uh, remember everything we read about in the book of Leviticus, again, is has the purpose of reminding the reader, reminding the offerer, reminding the participant um, that they're holy. They are holy unto the Lord. And certainly we see that in these first 15 verses, as we will in the next uh, uh, verse, verse 16. If any man has an omission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, uh, when a woman lies with a man and there is an omission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Now, of course, this these verses beg the question of, is sex between a husband and a wife, which certainly is what verse 18 is, is referring to there. It's not referring to unlawful sex. This is a reference here to lawful sex between a husband and a wife. Why is it that it says that they shall remain unclean until evening. I hope you are asking these questions as you read on your own through the book of Leviticus. Well, I will say first off that um, it's important to note that in verse 16 through 18, which discuss these omissions of semen, you do not have them having to offer a sin offering. And so what that really speaks to here is this is not, these verses are not meant to imply that there is anything sinful in sexual relationships. It, uh, sex uh, was uh, an invention of God and it was given to us by God. It was given to us uh, for uh, pleasure um, in Genesis uh, the book of Genesis, it says that God looked at all his creation and said that they were very good. And so sex was would have been, between um, a husband and wife would have been uh, included 
in there. Uh, in addition, in Genesis chapter 2, Adam says uh, 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 of Eve, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, referring to the act of sexual intercourse. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a, a, a reference to the beauty of sex. So sex in and of itself uh, is not sinful. If you are looking for uh New Testament authority on that subject. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 says, referring to sexual intercourse, verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then there is... A very telling verse in Hebrews 13 on this subject, uh, ch uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, undefiled but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. But specifically says there, the bed is undefiled. The bed is a, a, a beautiful thing here. And so, then what does it mean in verse 16 through 18 when it refers to the fact that there they were are unclean until evening if it doesn't mean that they that somehow there's sin associated with this what does it mean well um, it is really is a I think at least two things one just there's a ceremonial uncleanness remember uh, the mission of semen, remember, there's also a hygiene thing where um, the emission of se uh, semen can result in the contraction of the d disease. And so um, there's a, th there is a sanitary um, aspect to it. Remember, they bathe here, it says in verse 18, but also just a ceremonial uh, uncleanness um, as well. And... Uh, it, in addition to that, it could be said that these verses, particularly verse 18, where it says, when a man and woman come together, they shall bathe in water and be unclean till evening. It, it, it gives the sense of a, the sobriety associated between the a sexual intercourse between a husband and wife. Remember, the type throughout the Bible of a husband and wife, that Christ is the groom, uh, the wife is the church, or uh, you as a believer in Christ. And, and they're, they're coming together here, and there's a, there's, a, there's a union that's happening that is more than physical. Uh, it is also, also spiritual and emotional. That's why uh, sexual immorality leads to such profound emotional and spiritual problems without being redeemed in Christ. Um, and, it, it, you know, this is all giving the sense, should be giving this, the reader the sense, should be giving you the sense, me the sense, that of the sobriety of this act of sexual uh, intercourse. Oh, how we need this message today uh, where sex between a man and woman is treated incredibly lightly. You know, the whole friend 
uh, friend with benefits thing, uh, that this person's no more than a friend, but I have the benefit of sex, so the line goes nowadays. But, but, but these verses are, are a reminder to the Jew and a reminder to us that uh, a Christian should be conscious of holiness in everything that they do. They should be conscious of God uh, in everything that they do. I am reminded of that wonderful verse in Colossians where we read that in everything that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And yes, that includes the act of sexual intercourse. God should be in mind as um, a, a, a Christian man and a Christian woman, a husband and wife um, are involved in sexual intercourse. doesn't mean that you can somehow forget about God. It was given to them by God. Everything was given um, to us by God as a ultimately as a means to uh, worship him. And so verse 19, if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days and whoever touches her shall be un unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be uh, unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed, verse 23, or on anything on which she sits when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. So this uh, a reference to a woman's period. Again, uh, there is... The uh, not the sense here that there's any kind of sin associated with this, but there is uh, there's a mindfulness of here of of the the sanitary the the hygiene associated with the flow of blood. Um, there uh, later on in the book of. Leviticus, you will see an outright prohibition of sex during the period of uh, of, a, of a woman. Uh, verse uh, 24 does um, say that if it happens to happen, uh, that the man will be unclean for, for seven days. You know, the question does come up, well, does this apply to a husband, a Christian husband and wife today, 
Uh, I think my answer to that would be that, uh, no, it does not apply. This has all been fulfilled in, in Christ. However, men, why not take this as an opportunity to exercise self-control? There is, this is the sort of the, the natural, uh, the natural um, outworking of the body of a woman that God made. And so it would seem to me a matter of great wisdom and prudence to have this uh, period, the, uh, the period of, of impurity, which is, which is called here because during the period, to be an opportunity to exercise, exercise self-control and give your wife a break. And so, but is it, can I say that it is a sin for a Christian man and woman, uh, husband and wife to have sex during the period? I, I cannot say that based upon the fact that all these uh, laws that we are currently in have been fulfilled by uh, Christ. And, you know, if we don't if we observe one of them, we got to observe uh, all of them. And so um, this, these laws were a specific contract covenant with the Jews, not meant for the church today, although there's wisdom to be gleaned from it. Verse 25, if a woman has a uh, discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. Impurity, uh, She shall be unclean. Of course, um, for many of you listening, this will bring to mind the woman in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34, of the woman with... Uh, an issue of blood. It says there that uh, she had had an issue of blood for 12 years. Uh, one can only imagine the health, um, the health implications, the medical implications of a woman um, having an issue of blood for that uh, for that long a time, just the low iron levels and and, and otherwise. Remember, in that uh, in that story, you have the woman uh, pressing herself through the through the crowd, which meant what? Technically, every person that she was running into had become unclean. She knew it, but they didn't. And so it says that when she touched Jesus and. Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? That she feared. Why? Because, wow, she's just made everyone unclean. And uh, she's just made everyone unclean. And um, now what is this most holy uh, rabbi going to do about that? Will she get an open rebuke from her? No, he doesn't. Um, he does not do that. Verse 34 of Mark says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Go in peace. She doesn't have to worry that God 
is going to be condemning her from just making probably dozens, if not more, of men and women unclean. And, and, and so just a, a, just a wonderful picture of the grace of God there. But um, right here, you in Leviticus, you see the verses that would have applied to her, that she was um, unable to participate in temple life. Keep in mind, the temple was the center of community for the Jews. This woman did not have the benefit of that for this 12-year period. She had lost all her money to doctors trying to fix it, but God made her well. Okay. Verse 26, every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days. This is no one's counting for her. This is counting for herself. It's between her and the Lord. And after that, she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And bring them to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall offer the one as a sin offering and the other as a burn offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness. Once again, she doesn't offer a trespass offering, uh, lest it you know, lest we get the impression here that it was because of a specific act of sin. No, it's a sin offering. It's the law of sin, this issue of blood this, that went beyond her impurity. The woman in chapter Mark that went for, for 12 years was not the result of a trespass, a specific act on her part. It was a specific act of Adam resulting in the law of sin being introduced into the members of every human being who has uh, lived since except uh, Jesus Christ himself. So then the sin offering here, also the burn offering. And I can imagine just the woman in Mark chapter 5, just the glorious worship taking place as she is giving a, a, a burnt offering for uh, an offering of consecration. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing uh, to the Lord that this is your act of reasonable service this is your act of that sweet aroma to God just that worship that she must have had while offering the burnt offering and so verse 31 thus you thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them this is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who omits semen and it is unclean thereby. And for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. Okay, chapter 16. <clears throat> One of the most important chapters in the Bible, certainly for Jewish people, it's uh, the Day of Atonement here. We know of today as what's called today Yom Kippur, 
uh, here uh, Moses is going to be giving the Jews the law for the day of atonement. Atonement. It could be said at one mint with God. This is how uh, under the old covenant, the at one mint, uh, the, the oneness with God is attained. It was an offering made for the sins of the whole nation for the previous year. All of it a picture of Christ who is going to provide a, a greater atonement. In fact, what um, Christ is going to provide is a propitiation, a purging of sin, whereas atonement really is a covering with sin. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a my sin completely purged from me and the effects of it uh, on me than just a covering of, of sin. And so, uh, but here in it, you know, in, under the old covenant, uh, Exodus, I mean, rather Leviticus chapter 16, uh, the Day of Atonement, it's the only time of the year that anyone is allowed into the Holy of Holies. Remember, there's uh, in the tabernacle, uh, there was the court uh, that uh, any Jew who was clean could enter into the holy place, but only Levites uh, and priests could enter into. And then there is the Holy of Holies where only one person could enter, and that was the high priest, and then only once a year. And um, all of this pointing to the holiness of God, all of this reminding us of what we as a redeemed people have been saved from. And that'll become more and more evident as we read through this chapter. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 calls the new covenant a better covenant. I want to talk about that for a little bit here because this chapter is, is very central. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16 um, is very central to the old covenant. And uh, from time to time I hear someone uh, describe uh, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant as a covenant of the law. That is incorrect and it's unbiblical. Uh, I believe that is an inaccurate description of the Old Covenant. No one has ever been justified before God through the works of the law. It's impossible. The only way anyone has ever been justified by God is by his grace. Now it is true that God by his grace introduced this system of laws and system of sacrifices in the Old Testament, but uh, none of it ultimately was what justified a man or woman before God. It was God's grace and we see that throughout the Old Testament. So if you ever hear or are tempted to say, well, the Old Testament is a, you know, it was about the law. No, you know, it was about grace. I firmly believe that a, a Christian man or woman is incapable of fully understanding grace without an understanding of the Old Testament. And that's why at Calvary Chapel in the city, we do go through uh, the Old Testament chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But then 
Uh, all this as well begs the question, why does Hebrews 8 verse 6 call the new covenant a better covenant? Well, um, I think there's at least a couple reasons. And, and one is, is uh, that, or I should say at least at least three reasons. One is that there, uh, it's it's a better covenant uh, when you look um, at the the sacrificial system um, of the Old Testament. Is every day lambs were being offered, at morning and night, and then bulls and turtle doves and goats uh, throughout uh, the year all of which were necessary for atonement, for a temporary covering until uh, Christ came. And his the sacrificial system under the New Testament is one sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. And so I would call that uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, a, a, a better covenant, wouldn't you? Uh, it's uh, a lot less laborious that um, under our uh, new covenant, a better covenant, we there's only one sacrifice, and that is accepted, uh, uh, that is done by us, not by um, putting our hand on a, you know, on a sheep or a bull and, and, and slitting its neck and watching the bud, uh, blood pour forth. Forth. No, it is simply done by us through faith, through belief, through um, our understanding and belief of what Jesus did on the cross for us and, uh, and remembering the blood, remembering the broken body. Now, as I've said many times um, during communion and our study through the Old Testament, in some respects, the Old Testament they were better off in the sense that by putting their hand on the sacrifice and personally slitting the throat of the animal and washing the blood go down, they could they had that deep, deep sense that, wow, my sin, this is what my sin has done. So all the more important that as new covenant believers that we take communion seriously and we reflect continuously every day on the on the blood of Christ and how our sin um, our sin was what killed Jesus and what the the blood was poured because of my sin your sin our sin so uh, but, but anyway why was it uh, why is the new covenant a, a better covenant well it's because of a better, uh, a lot better for us, the sacrificial system. Uh, but number two, um, the the new covenant um, is a better covenant uh, because it's a covenant in which, um, because of the benefits of it, we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three verse six says. Uh, that God has made us ministers of the New Testament or the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit uh, giveth life. And so, um, lest there be any confusion that that verse 
cancels out everything that I just said about the Old Testament not being the covenant of the law. When it refers to the Old uh, Covenant um, as being of the letter, not of the Spirit, uh, really, Second Corinthians uh, uh, 3 there is talking about us now being the temple of the Holy Spirit in which we are able to follow uh, the Word of God through the indwelling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, a believer in God, certainly they had the help of the Spirit. Um, but it was uh, that ever-present, uh, the, 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 the never-ending presence, the in-your-face presence of that letter which was so vast, that meaning, letter meaning the law, which we're reading about in, in Leviticus, so detailed uh, throughout the, the Pentateuch that no man could ever fulfill these things. But we know we have Christ who fulfill it. So we're not getting killed by the letter um, in, in the same sense uh, that an Old Testament believer was, but instead by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're believing on the fulfillment of the letter of the law by Christ, but we're also being empowered to follow the word of God. I, I think of Jeremiah 31, verse 32, referring to the new covenant. It says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the, in the day that I, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel that I will put my law in their inward parts, in reference to the spirit there, and, a write, um, and write in their hearts, and, they will, and I will be their God, and they shall be my uh, people. I don't know about you, but again, Hebrews 8, chapter 8, verse 6, that sounds like a better covenant to me, where by the spirit, um, the law is now in my inward man. I will say, finally, why is the um, new covenant a better covenant? Well, it, because there's just so much better access to God. And in here, what do we see? The, um, whole, the, the high priest is only allowed in once a year into the Holy of Holies. And... Uh, in Hebrews 4.16, we are told that because of the blood of Jesus and the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit in us, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so, um, not that someone like David, you see the, just the richness of the access that he had with God in the Psalms, not like it's not like only once a year a believer could, um, you know, could experience God through prayer and worship, but just the sense of being able to go into the Holy of Holies. It's once a year under the Old Covenant. It's every hour, every minute, every hour of every day for the New Testament believer. And I so I would call that a better 
covenant. But uh, let us move forward. It says in, uh, it says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, Again, the chapter about is about the Day of Atonement. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time. So this speaks to the access, the limited access, the inferior access that they had. Verse 2, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come in just at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body he shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. It says in verse 5, And he shall take from the uh, congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goat as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And so in verse 6, and really uh, speaking of uh, in verse 3 and 4, you have Aaron performing a sin offering for himself. In other words, before he himself can perform the priestly act, particularly going into the Holy of Holies, he's got to make that sin offering. Again, once again, it's not a trespass offering. It's not for some specific act that Aaron had done. You know, God willing, that would have been taken care of through a trespass offering before all this took place. No, this is the law of sin that Aaron um, has because he is a descendant of of Adam. And it's just a, a reminder to him that he is uh, really just like any other man going in. I think of Matthew 23, verse 8. Jesus said, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You know, a frequent prayer of mine, uh, which I've kind of lifted from First Peter, which talks about living stones, is that, Lord, Help me to remember every time I come in to a service at Calvary Chapel in the city that I am a stone like any other stone in this church. And it's so easy for um, a pastor, a priest, uh, to forget, um, particularly um, here in the Old Testament where you're you're dealing with um, a high priest who is... Uh, normally, outside of this day, the Day of Atonement, 
they are dressed in just spectacular garments. They, uh, they, they have that hat, that robe, the breastplates, there's precious stones embedded on their garments. And, and, and so, man, that can get to your head. Uh, but uh, here, what we see is something very different. We see in verse 4 that Aaron is putting on uh, linen trousers, a linen tunic, a linen trousers, girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban. So very, very humble and simple. What's this all about? Well, it's about, remember, we are told in Hebrews that Christ is our high priest. It's, it's a picture of Christ who laid aside the glory of heaven and humbly clothed himself into a human body. I mean, we, we cannot possibly imagine what that was like for Jesus to have to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth and be clothed in a human body. Most of you are familiar with Philippians chapter 2, where we can sort of read a description of that. It says in Philippians chapter 2, who Jesus, who is in heaven with the Father in the form, meaning in the very, his very nature, God. I believe the NIV says that. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, we can read about that. It's very hard for us to nurture an actual sense of that, I believe, when we go to heaven. When Jesus returns or we die and we pass from death to life and go to heaven, we see what he left is that sense of worship. I read a story about, there's actually been multiple journalists who have left a well-paid career, just highly educated uh, journalists, one by the name of Jan Wong in Canada and another United States, Barbara Ehrenreich, and for, um, I believe, a year or maybe multiple years, they uh, went undercover as cleaning ladies, just working as a common labor. Um, I believe Jan Wan was in Toronto, Barbara Ehrenreich was in New York, and, and just the humiliation uh, of doing that and living um, in that way and chronicling it for a year, it gives us some some peace. Just a, 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 just just as maybe a speck of sand of what it must have been like for Jesus to leave heaven and take on the appearance of a man. 
It was more than an appearance. He was in, he, he was in the flesh, the human body, subject to the same limitations as you and I. He was without sin, yet he went through every trial and affliction and temptation that we go through. He became he, he knew them. He was familiar uh, with them. But the symbolism here is just phenomenal, is that the priest takes off his very ornate garments, puts on the very humble linen garments, and then after the Day of Atonement, what happens? He takes off the linen garments and he puts back on the the garments, the, the, the priest's garments, the high priest garments, again, ornate, just glorious. And that's, of course, what Jesus did. And after, he, uh, after he died, he returned to, to heaven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, after his ascension, it says he went into heaven and is now at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And so um, the wonderful foreshadowing here of Jesus Christ, our high priest, it says that Verse 7, it continues, it says, He, Aaron, the high priest, shall take the two goats. Now notice in verse 5, it says he took these two goats as a sin offering. But In other words, both the goats together, what's going to happen now separately with these goats together, it will be equal to what Jesus does with us. And it says that he took the two goats and presented them before the Lord, verse 7, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Verse 9, and Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to, to be the scapegoat shall be pre presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which he is for himself. But then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Now this is the first the first of three times that Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies and he goes in first with a censer full of burning uh, uh, burning coals of fire and, and there's sweet incense being burned. In the Bible, uh, incense, burning incense, represents the prayers of God's people. And so just a wonderful picture there that this is how it's beginning. 
And God loves the prayers of his people. They, it's a sweet incense, uh, sweet aroma to the Lord. And there's two or three million Hebrew people outside the tabernacle, and they're all praying. And this is representing them here inside the veil, it says in, in verse 12. And I just think of after Jesus uh, died, it says the veil was torn in two. And you and I, as redeemed believers in Christ, can go right inside the veil as well. Verse 13, it says, And he, Aaron, shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony meaning the Ark of the Covenant, lest he die. And so he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of, uh, of Israel. And so uh, again, verse five, it says two goats are a sin offering. First goat here, the blood is put in, being put um, in, you know, uh, inside uh, on the mercy seat. And what does that represent? It, it represents the access that the children of God, this first goat, the blood of the first goat, the access that the children of, of God have because of this sacrifice. Of course, all of this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. But it says again in verse 16, it says, He shall make atonement for the holy, holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Um, and I'll continue here in verse 16. And because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So this is this first goat is about access. The blood which is offered on the mercy seat about their access. Of course, the bull he offers for himself, the blood of the bull, Aaron offers for himself as the high priest, but the blood of the goat is for the children of Israel. It's buying them, it's purchasing for them. It's a, actually, it's a foreshadowing of when Jesus' blood purchased uh, for them access to God and God's people. Verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Speaking in verse 17, that the high priest needs to make atonement for himself before he makes atonement for all the people. Of course, Jesus doesn't have to do this. We know this from Hebrews as, um, as well. We are told that, that uh, in verse uh, 27 of Hebrews, Chapter 7, it says, uh, Our high priest Jesus does not need daily as those high priests, referring to the high priests in the Old Testament, to offer up sacrifices first of his own sins and then for the people, peoples. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. 
For the law, verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 7, appoint as a high priest men who have weaknesses, but under the word of the oath which came under the law, appoint the Son of God who has been perfected forever. And so, um, verse 17, referring to the requirement that the high priest make an atonement, a sacrifice for himself. Then verse 18, and he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall make and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. So now he has left, in verse 18, the the holiest holy, holy of holies. He's come back to the altar, which is out in the courtyard. He's putting the blood there. Not only the blood would for himself, but for the people. Verse 19, Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Again, all about access here. The blood is necessary, the shedding of blood necessary for access. Verse 20, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meaning and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Now the live goat is going to be about forgiveness. So the goat that was slaughtered is about access. The live goat more about forgiveness and putting our sins away. Aaron shall lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So that, of course, this is all representative, uh, but this is all symbolic, but it's speaking of the necessity of all the sins, not some, all the sins, intentional and unintentional, being transferred onto the goat. Of course, foreshadowing of our sins going um, on to, to Jesus. And... There's going to be a separation here. It says in verse 21 at the end, it'll be sent away into the wilderness. Verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, afterward he may come into the camp. So again, verse 27, it says, The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, their offal. Of course, we know in Hebrews chapter 13, and we've talked about this before, 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So that wonderful picture there. Verse 28 says, Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. Verse 29, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls to do no work at all. Therefore, a native of your own country or stranger who whether rather whether a native or of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you and so verse 29 again reference to the day of atonement uh, in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month i think it usually falls somewhere in the month of october the jew is to afflict their souls and so it wasn't supposed to be not supposed to be just a ritual of coming in and uh, coming out mindlessly, You're supposed to afflict their souls. And that's a reference to, 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 to fasting, to really wrestling before the Lord uh, uh, over sins that may have been committed in the past year or wrestling before the Lord. God just exposed to me what sin have I been guilty of? And and just that remembrance that all that sin has been atoned for. It's been covered through the Day of Atonement. And then, of course, it was a Sabbath to the Lord. It says, you shall do no work. <clears throat> Actually, either you or a native of your own country. So at the time, that there was no work. Even someone who was no, not a Jew, there's no work on this most holy day. There's a, a day of rest before the Lord to just focus on him. Verse 34, on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of, of, of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest to his father's place, shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting, for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. You know, I as I read this verse, as I as I close out here in verse 30, it says, On that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, and you shall be made clean from all your sins before the Lord. And I think again of Hebrews 8 6, which refers to the new covenant as a better covenant. I I think of Hebrew, uh, Titus chapter 3, and I was in Titus chapter 3 this week in my devotion time, which speaks of the better covenant. 
It says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing. There's that cleansing here, except it's a, a cleansing spoken of in Leviticus chapter uh, 16, which is uh, so much more of a cleansing that they received them, uh, of course, a cleansing. This is an inward, actual cleansing that is taking place. How? Titus 3, 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I would indeed call that a better covenant.